So often people talk about Jesus and me, Jesus and me. But more than Jesus and me, I believe God wants us to focus on Jesus and we. In other words, you alone are not the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And we can do infinitely more together than we can apart. That's why, as a church, we will be faith-filled, big thinking, bet the farm, risk-takers. And we will never insult God with small thinking or safe living. We will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Christ. In order to reach people no one's reaching, we'll do things no one else is doing. As a church, we will lead the way with irrational generosity because we truly believe it is more blessed to give than to receive. As a church, we are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. We believe the church does not exist for us, but we are the church and we exist for the world. Why do we exist? We exist to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Jesus and we can make this happen. We know that without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's why we live by faith and not by sight. What are we as a church, as God's church? We are faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm, risk-takers. We'll never insult God with small thinking or safe living. So we're starting a new series today called Jesus and We, and I hope that that when you kind of hear that introduction, it gets you excited because we want to talk about what God wants to do with us collectively. Now, American Christians, we talk a great deal about Jesus and me. We believe that a relationship with Jesus is is the best way to live, and it's the only way to die. We think that's the only way you get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus himself said. But because we're in America, we, we focus so much on individualism that I think we neglect some of Jesus' most uh, important teaching, and that has to do with corporate worship and, and, and doing things as a church, because Jesus Jesus teaches that, yes, our relationship with him is to be personal, but it was never meant to be private. He wants us to go public. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 33. He said, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my father is in heaven. So yes, it's supposed to be a personal relationship, but it's not supposed to be private. We're supposed to go public. Jesus expects us to worship with other people on a regular basis. Why is that? Well, there's something powerful um, that happens when we gather. Now, when you pray by yourself, God does amazing things and your relationship with God increases, but there's something that happens when you pray with other people that, that, um, it happens between you and, and w- the people with whom you pray. It happens with God and it takes your relationship with those people and with God to an HNL. A whole nother level. That was my attempt at thug life and, and we'll stop right there. We'll just, we'll just move on, but I'll do anything to help you remember this. It's the same with worship. Now, some of y'all, some of y'all worship like crazy in your cars. I've seen you. You think nobody else is around. You think nobody can see you because you got this invisible shield and, and I don't know what you're singing. Jesus, take the wheel. I don't know what you're singing, but you should, you know, you got your hands up. You're worshiping and there's just something that's awesome about worshiping by yourself. I told the first service that, that there are times almost every day during the week I'm here at some point and I turn on the music and the place is rocking and sometimes I'm walking through the, the aisle here and just the song overwhelms me and I just stop and I raise my hands and I just start singing. There's something awesome about worshiping God that way. 
But if you were here for our come to worship series that we did leading up to Christmas, the first service, uh, the first service of that in, back in December, we talked about raising hands and some people who had never done it before at the end of the service were raising their hands before God. And I almost couldn't even speak. It was such a powerful thing. And then when we did the last service, we talked about bowing down before God. And I asked people to literally come and bow down and you could not even get up here to the steps of the stage because it was so thick with people. We bowed down, we worshiped. And I'm telling you, that was some of the most meaningful worship times I I've experienced because of you. There's something powerful about coming together as a church and God wants us to do that. So over these next four weeks, we're going to look at four core beliefs of New Life Community Church. We're going to teach you about what we believe Christianity is and what the church is supposed to be. And in this series, I hope it will help you understand why we do some of the things we do and why we don't do some of the things that we don't do. Now this week is all about... (laughs) faith. It's all about big thinking. So I'm going to read it once and then I want you to read this with me, this statement. I'm going to let you read it first because the first service couldn't figure this out. So you're smarter than them, right? I I tell them that. I'm going to read it first. We are faith-filled, big thinking, bet the farm risk takers. We will never insult God with small thinking or safe living. Ready? Say it with me. We are faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm risk-takers. We will never insult God with small thinking or safe living. I'm going to play that for the first service next week and say, this is how you read along. We want to see God do amazing, impossible things. We want people around Anderson County to hear that not only is God alive, he's involved in the lives of his people. He's changing lives on a regular basis. We want to be a part of that. We want, we want to believe that God, because he said um, to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or imagine, we want God to do more than we ask or imagine. Because then he gets the glory for that. So to kick off this series, I want to look at two times that Jesus Christ was amazed by people. And he was amazed for two different reasons that are at the complete opposite of the amazement spectrum. The first story is when Jesus was at, at, was in his hometown. And, uh, I want to ask you, where is Jesus' hometown? Y'all are smarter than the first service. They said Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem. Wow, I can't play that part for him because I've said y'all are smarter several times now. Um, I, I got to work on their their IQ. But anyway, um, Nazareth is his hometown. And, and when he's in Nazareth, Jesus, every Sabbath, you know where he was? In church. Because he was worshiping his father. And so if we're going to claim that we're followers of Jesus Christ, shouldn't, shouldn't the things that matter to Jesus matter to us? If he says that, if by his life he shows us that church is important and we say we're a follower of Christ, we got to do the same thing. So he was in worship on a Sunday morning. Now, or on Saturday morning, we moved it to Sunday because the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened on a Sunday. That's why we worship on Sunday, not the Sabbath. But anyway, verse 2 tells us that that as Jesus was teaching and he was performing miracles, they were amazed. Now, what what town was this in? Nazareth, his hometown. And because he came from there, they were kind of messed up by that, and they couldn't figure out what was going on. They started asking, where does this power come from? He knows how to teach, and then he does, where does it come from? And And... The reality then is the same reality today. Supernatural power either comes from God or it comes from Satan. And because he was a hometown boy, they just couldn't get past that. And so no matter how miraculous he did things, no no matter what he did, no matter how good his teaching was, they struggled. Look what it says in verse 3 of of Mark chapter 6. They scoffed. He's just a carpenter. 
So they're saying he's ordinary. He's just an ordinary dude. And then they said, he's the son of Mary. Now you got to understand in the Hebrew culture, you never referred to a man as the son of his mom. You, you would say the son of the father. The only time you would ever say he's the son of Mary, the son of the mom is as an insult. This was huge disrespect in that country. So he's just a carpenter. He's an ordinary. He's, he's the son of Mary. They didn't even give him the dignity of saying that, that Joseph was his earthly father. And then look at this. And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. His whole family is ordinary, and he lives here. He's among us. And, and I just got to point this out. Jesus had, uh, jo- Jesus didn't. Joseph and Mary had other children. Matthew one twenty five says that, that Joseph kept Mary a virgin until Jesus Christ was born, and then he did fatherly things. Then he was fruitful and multiplied. He obeyed scripture, and he has lots of other family members. And, and in fact, this is, this is something that should help you believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus' own family didn't believe he was, he was the Savior until he rose from the dead. They saw him alive, and it changed them. They were skeptics until he walked again after the grave, and they became followers of Jesus. So his whole family is here. They're all ordinary, and they couldn't explain him, and so they took offense at him. The last verse says this. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Now skip down to verse 5. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any mighty miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Now, there was no limitation on his power, but God has always responded to people in measure of how much they believe. You show faith, God responds. And so in this situation, very few people showed faith, and so he, was, he, he only showed a little bit of his power. And then look what it says. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Say that with me. He was amazed at their unbelief. So if you're following on your listening guide, Jesus was amazed by unbelief. Now these people were Jews. They were religious. Not only did they know the Old Testament, they could quote most of the Old Testament because they were taught this. They had to memorize it by by a certain age and they would quote it over and over and over again. They knew the Old Testament. They should have known that Jesus fulfilled all 50 of the major prophecies plus all the other prophecies. They should have recognized him and worshipped him as Savior, but they took offense at him and Jesus was a amazed by their unbelief. And I believe that Jesus this day, 2016, is still amazed by people who should believe, by people who should know better. Second story I want to look at is the opposite end of the spectrum, and it's someone who's opposite of a Jew. He's a Roman centurion, and this is in Jesus's adopted hometown of Capernaum. It's not an accident that in Nazareth, he performed very few miracles because very few people believed. In Capernaum, he did all kinds of miracles because all kinds of people believed. Now, the Jews generally hated the Romans and especially the military because there were certain laws that allowed them to abuse the Jews. It was lawful. For example, if a, if a Roman soldier came up to a Jew and said, you must carry my, my equipment, they were required by law to go one mile to carry it. So they had markers that would mark it off and they were going to drop that at the next mile and then the, the, the Roman soldier might find somebody else to carry it. And, and do you remember what Jesus said when someone says carry it one mile? What did he say? Carry it two to show them that you're different, your kingdom is not of this world. So this particular centurion 
had a servant who was dying, and so he got the religious leaders, the respected leaders of Capernaum, sent them to Jesus, and they said, would you come and heal the, the servant of this centurion? And, and these religious leaders, they said, this is no ordinary centurion because he loves Jews, and he even built us a synagogue. That is not a normal centurion. Loves Jews, built them a place where they could worship. And so Jesus agrees to go with him. He starts walking towards the centurion's home. Before he gets there, the centurion gets some of his friends and sends them out to Jesus with this message. This is in Luke chapter 7, verses 7 through 9. They said to Jesus on behalf of the centurion, I am not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word. If you got anything you can underline, whether you're following along on, on you version or if you bring your Bibles, underline that. Just say the word. I want to be a just say the word Christ follower. He said, just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And I, and if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. Look at this. When Jesus heard this, he was what? Amazed. And he turned to the crowd that was following him and said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. My people don't believe like this centurion does. So Jesus was amazed this time by faith or by belief. Two different times he was amazed. One time he was amazed by unbelief. The second time he was amazed by belief. So my question to you today is, if Jesus were to look at your life, would he be amazed that you have faith? Or would he be amazed that you don't do jack for the kingdom of God? If you're not a Christ follower, then, then that's okay. If you're a Christ follower, that's not okay. That's not the place you want to be. Now, you have a, a scale on your listening guide, and, and whether it's there or not, or whether you got a piece of paper, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to rate yourself, but don't do it yet, because I want to explain this to you. Uh, I want you to think about the last seven days of your life, just the last seven days, and I want you to think about what did you do in the last seven days that was such a world changer that if God didn't show up, you would not have succeeded. Is there anything? What did you pray for over the last seven days that God had to show up for? Now, if you're high, if you've prayed for people to be healed of cancer, if you've been praying for incredible prayers, you're going to be up seven, eight, nine. If you didn't, you're going to be down six or lower. All right. Now, imagine if God were to answer every prayer you prayed over the last seven days with yes, and he did it immediately. So you said, God, do this, and poof, it it happened. How would the world be different today because of your prayers? Some of you ask God to heal somebody from cancer, and that would be an amazing thing that God did. Some of you prayed that, that a child... Would, would be adopted into a home. Some of you um, prayed for marriages to be healed. Those are huge things, and the world would, would be different because you prayed those prayers. Some of you, the only thing you prayed for was that your food would be blessed. And if that's Taco Bell, I'm not sure God answers that prayer. All right? Some of you, you prayed, oh, God, help us to get to Grandma's house, and, and please, God, don't let her get run over by a reindeer. Right? And, and if you're religious, people would pray this. People would pray, I've heard it. If you've been in church, you've heard it. God, give us traveling mercy. That's the religious part. If you're not religious, you go, God, help us get there, right? 99.9% of the time, you'd probably get there even without that prayer, right? So you're not praying for much. Now, I, I pray, I, when I pray, when we're traveling, I say, God, be our be our banner because when, when the armies would go out, they would hold up a banner declaring whose that was. And so I'd say, God, be our banner. Declare that this car is God's car. You know, the people in here belong to God. And then, then our rear guard so that nobody can come up and smash it. So I pray that. But most of us, if we're real honest, 
there would be absolutely nothing different in the world because you didn't pray a single prayer in the last seven days. And that's unacceptable. So we've got to be looking at our lives and we've got to evaluate where we are. Would God be amazed by our faith or would he be amazed that we don't have any faith? Rate yourself. There's a number somewhere. Either come up with that number, write it down. Even the teachers in the first service didn't, didn't do what I just assigned them to do. So I'm, come up with a number. You got it? Because this is important. As a church, God is calling us to be faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm risk-takers, to never insult God with small thinking or safe living. And if you're a six or below, you really need to pay attention today because I'm going to tell you some facts about faith. Because if you're a six or below, you're not where God wants you to be in your faith. Number one, the first fact about faith, you can't play it safe and please God. It, it, Romans, uh, not Romans, Hebrews eleven six says this, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that, that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him or who sincerely seek him. If you can do everything that you're trying to do in your power, you don't need God. God's not pleased with you. That's the bottom line of that verse. Now, years ago, um, when I first came to Palestine, this was in 95, I took my youth group to um, Piney Woods Baptist Camp. Anybody been there? Piney Woods has a, a ropes course. And so I'd only been at this church a couple of months and, you know, they wanted me to do it. They're giving me a hard time. Go, go do the ropes course. So the first thing we come to is the pamper pole. And, and the pamper pole is basically a telephone pole that has little hand climbing things on it. And so that doesn't bother me. Stuff like that doesn't bother me. So, man, I jump up there. The problem is when you get to the top of the pamper pole, that last rung, there's no handholds or anything. So you're, you're kind of standing there and you're wondering, not only can I lift myself up, but can I stay on top of this pole? And I didn't care about falling. I had the rope, didn't care. What I cared about was there's 40, 50 teenagers down there going to laugh at me and point and, and say all kinds of things about me if I, if I fail. That's what I'm worried about. So when you get to the top, then that's, you're not done. There's this trapeze swing out here. And it's so far that you can't lean out and grab it. I mean, you have to, you have to jump out and grab it. And, and some people, it was funny. Some people couldn't jump. And, and they would jump and they go, like a cat. Y'all seen the cats that jump and they can't go anywhere and they fall? That's what these people did at the pamper bowl. And they're, ah, you know, and it was awesome. So my biggest fear was I wasn't going to be able to jump out there and get it. But I jumped out and grabbed onto it. But even when you jump out and grab onto it, the only way to get down is to let go. And the guy on the ground, the sadistic guy that's, that's got the, the, the rope, he'll go, he'll go let go. And people are going, no. He's like, the only way you're getting down, or there'd be people on top of the pamper pole. The reason they call it a pamper pole is because they say it's so scary that you need a diaper. You should be wearing pampered. And so people would be on top of the pole, and, and I mean, they would be up there going, I can't move. And, and you know, I'm like, let's throw something at them. Let's, let's hit them. Because then they'll move, then they got to go. And, and if they were just frozen, the guy would eventually pull them off. And I'm telling you, this one dude that, that did ours, he was awesome because he would wait until you fly down. And I mean, you are within inches of the ground thinking you're going to die. It's kind of like this, this little video clip here. That's it. That's the whole clip, you know, so don't get into the Mission Impossible. But that's what it would be like. And so when you jump, there's this rush because you're like gravity. Oh, and it takes over. And you're praying to God. And there were some kids, you know, they'd be standing, standing on top of the pole. And, uh, man, they, they start confessing their sins. And, and even if they're Christians, 
I think I even heard some cussing. And they rededicated their lives that night in worship. But um, (laughs) I tell you all that to say, the only way you ever feel the rush is to get off the pole. Some of you are so afraid of taking a step towards Jesus Christ, of obeying, that you're just standing there on the pole. And you got to take a leap. You've got to move. See, God never designed you just to sit in one place your whole life. He designed you to move. And so you may say, God, I think you're calling me to do this. I don't know. Here I go. The whole life of New Life Community Church has been like that. Janie and I decided to start a church on a Tuesday and on Saturday. We just called a few friends. Here we go. And it's been kind of like that the whole ride. It's just incredible what God has done. But if you're playing it safe, you're not pleasing God. That's the bottom line. And let me tell you this. Some of you are so afraid of falling or failing that you won't try anything for God. But as long as Jesus Christ is near, falling is never fatal. You remember when the, uh, when, when the disciples, right after Jesus fed 5,000, he sent them in the boat to go across the lake, uh, the Sea of Galilee, Lake Gennesaret, same thing. Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray, and so about 3 o'clock in the morning, sometime between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the morning, Jesus comes walking on water, and, and they're, they're, it's a big storm, and they're rowing, and they're not getting anywhere, and, and so they think it's a ghost, and Jesus says, no, it's not a ghost, it is I, and, and Peter goes, if it is you, Lord, command me to walk on the water to you, and Jesus says, come. Peter wanted some kind of assurance that that, that really was Jesus, and, and I was thinking this week, what if it hadn't been Jesus? I mean, he would have... We wouldn't be talking about this story. Remember when Pete drowned? It wasn't Jesus. Man, he's a dork. We give Peter a hard time because he steps out of the boat. He starts walking on water, and then he looks at the waves and the wind, and he gets scared, and he begins to sink. But did you know that there's only two people in recorded history who've ever walked on water? Jesus Christ and Pete. Yep, he started sinking. But failing is never final when Jesus is close. Right? Falling down, it's okay because Jesus reached out and pulled him back up. It's going to be okay. Take some risks in your life. As long as Jesus Christ is near, it's all right. What's going to happen if I, if you get out of the boat? I don't know, but you got to get out of the boat to find out. So you can't play it safe and please God. I would even argue that if you're not failing some, you're not trying anything in the kingdom of God and, and you need to take some risks. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Second fact about faith. If you have a guarantee, it's not faith. You don't have faith. We want guarantees, right? Every time I buy something, I want to know the warranty. How long is the warranty? And then I want to register that sucker so that if something goes wrong, I, I get a, a free one, right? In the kingdom of God, look what kind of warranty you get. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. You've heard the saying, seeing is believing, not in the Christian life. In the Christian life, it's believing results in seeing. God always says, obey then I bless. He does not bless you first. He wants to see you demonstrate faith. So you have to step out first. If you're sure faith isn't required. So somebody, somebody this year is going to start a business or somebody's going to start a ministry and you want to guarantee God, what's steps three, four, and five. And God says, take step one. Well, no, God, I need step three. Take step one. Well, God, what's going to happen next week? Take step one. God says, when you do that, I'll show you something else. He'll be faithful. Someone here is single, and you need to ask someone out. You can't get married 
until you go on a date. And when you do this, you go on that date and you get married, someday you're going to have a son. I want you to name him Doug because I helped you get some action. And you're married, so action is legal. Sex is a good thing in marriage, right? All right. Doug, and if it's a, if it's a girl, my middle name's Alan. Elena, good enough. That's close enough. Because God used me to build your faith. So you can't play it safe and please God. If you have a guarantee, you do not have faith. Number three, to step towards your destiny, you have to step away from your security. But what's going to happen? You know, have you seen people, they hold, you know, they hold on to something like bungee jumpers. They're holding on to the side. You're never going to do anything as long as you're holding on. You've got to take that step and move. What's going to happen? I don't know. If I knew what was going to happen, it wouldn't be called faith. Abraham is considered the father of the Jewish nation. I want you to see what Hebrews eleven eight says about him. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. This is the key sentence. He went without knowing where he's going. God said, Abraham, go to a land I'll show you. Where are we going? Just go. How many of you would follow that type of command from God? He gives it to all of us. You're supposed to go. What? Where? I don't know. But he will reveal that as you get to know him. So when you take that step, you take your eyes off of your own life and you focus on the author and the perfecter of our faith. Then you're not walking by sight. You're actually walking by faith and that pleases your heavenly father. So my question is, would God be amazed at your faith or would he be amazed that you don't have any? Because you never attempt anything for the kingdom of God. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says this. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet he is without sin. Then it says this. Therefore, because he's been tempted, he's without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus Christ has made it possible for you to come in front of God, the King of Kings. Would God be amazed that you never take advantage of that? More than likely, yes. See, somebody is supposed to tell their, their boss about Jesus Christ. Somebody may have a family member that they need to tell about Jesus Christ. They, you may have a workout partner that you're supposed to tell about Jesus Christ. And, and we don't know how it's going to turn out. If you did, it wouldn't be faith. You're going to have to take a step of faith and respond positively. Some of you are going to tithe for the first time. You've heard about it and you've, you've rejected that. Tithe just means 10%. And we believe scripture teaches that, that folks are supposed to give 10% to the church, that it's not really an offering. You're bringing what already belongs to God. An offering is anything greater than 10%. Some of you have heard about it and you've thought about it and you've, you've been disobedient. And you said, I'm just too afraid to try, but here's what's going to happen. I guarantee you. I just saw Carlene back there. Back in the old building, I did this deal. I did a money back guarantee. I said, you try it for six months. And if God doesn't bless your life, I'll give you your money back. And Carlene said, I'll take that, that bet. She started tithing. She's been tithing ever since because what you discover when you tithe, you just, you discover that God's blessing on your 90% makes that 90% go farther than, than a hundred percent without. And if you were at a two or a three, you start trusting God with your money before long, you're at a five, six or a seven because God is faithful and he will always provide for you. Some of you are going to step out and start a small group. And I actually mentioned Greg and Nicole earlier, uh, because you're going to start a small group. You're going to say, I don't think we can do it. And they even told me, we don't think we're qualified. And I said, then you are qualified because you don't think you're qualified because you got to depend on God. 
And, and there were times they didn't know if their small group was going to work. And just a few weeks ago, Nicole texted me and she said, there is no place we'd rather be than hanging out with these people on, on Sunday nights, watching God pull us together around his word. In fact, they met last week. We didn't even have small groups. And they said, can we meet? Cause we like each other and we want to meet. Sure. We didn't meet cause I don't really like people. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. My group will be right here tonight. And, and you're going to, you're going to find out if you'll step out in faith that God's going to bless you in ways you couldn't even imagine, but you got to take a step. Some of you are going to serve in youth ministry or in the kids zone. You're going to think I'm not cool enough. And I got, I got news for you. You're not, nobody's cool enough, but if you'll love a teenager, if you'll love a child, if you'll, if you'll just give them some interest before long, they will be attached to you and you will be able to impact the next generation. Six months from now, you'll say, God, I know these kids are messed up. I know they come from broken homes. I know some of them are confused sexually. I know some of them are cutting themselves and some of them are, are experimenting with drugs. And, but you say, God, thank you that you're using me in little old Palestine, Texas at New Life Community Church to make a difference in the next generation. That's some stuff I get excited about because I want to impact generations, not just this one. God's going to call some of y'all to work in the children's area. You may go back in the two-year-old room and you run around with a bunch of crazy, crack, tiny crackheads. And some one minute they're, they're awesome and they're lovey-dovey. The next minute they're insane, you know, stuff all over them. And, and God's going to increase your prayer life because you're like, God, you got to show up because there's more of them than there are of me. And, and, but you step out and, and a few months down the road, you're going to think, Janie says this to me all the time. She'll, she'll come home and she'll go, man, today was awesome in this class. And whether it's pre, uh, teens or, you know, even, even whatever class she'll come home, my kids got it today. And when the kids leave our children's area back there and move into the youth ministry, they know about Jesus Christ. They understand scripture. And it's because we've got a group of, of folks who said, we're not just going to sit here and soak up every week. We're going to pour our lives into the next generation. No matter what step of faith you, you, you take, here's what you need to know. As you grow, we grow. Whenever you move forward towards Christ spiritually, the whole church moves towards Christ spiritually. Do you get that? So your walk with Christ impacts my walk with Christ. It is a very big deal. And we've got to take that seriously. And, and the reason it takes all of us is because God didn't give us a small commission. You know what we call it, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, we call it the great commission because it's bigger than all of us. When God looks at you, I want him to be amazed at your faith. When God looks at our church, I want him to be amazed at our faith. And, and maybe Ephesians 3, 19 and 20 is supposed to be our theme verse. Now to him... Jesus Christ, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You want to know why most people miss God? They never stop to ask, think, or imagine why God put them here at this point in history. It's not an accident. It's not even an accident that you're here this morning. God wanted you to hear this. I want to declare that in 2016, we're going to ask, we're going to think, we're going to imagine, and then we're going to ask God to do more than that. 
so that generations and generations can be in the kingdom of God. Would you bow your heads for a moment? I want to ask you to think about this. Are you a play-it-safe type Christ follower? Because actually that's a contradiction in terms. If he's your boss, if he's your Lord, you don't get to play it safe. You, you get to obey. The reason we have salvation from our sins, the reason we have the promise of heaven is because we're obedient. So I want to ask you to think about this. Have you been playing it safe when it comes to your relationship with God? Yes or no? If the answer is yes, then I want you to pray to God, confess that. Say, God, help me to trust you in the future. Are you one of those people that has to have a guarantee before you'll believe something? Confess that to God. And then some of you today, some of your your heart started beating just a little bit quicker because you thought, I need to do more in the kingdom of God. So would you pray, God, help me step away from this security so that I can achieve the destiny you have for me. Father, it's my prayer that New Life Community Church would never be the same, that, that 2016 would be a year we would look back on and say we, we baptized record numbers of people. We ministered to record numbers of single moms. We, we were able to reach homeless people. We were able to see marriages healed. We were able to see um, drug addicts break free from their addiction. We were able to see teenagers who struggle with their self-image begin to see themselves like you see them. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.